Welcome uh, to those of you online. We're glad to have you here with us. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for bringing us together virtually um, and for your word and what it does to us, uh, that the gospel moves in and through our lives and has the power to change. Um, I pray that today as we come before you in song and in your word, uh, that you would move in and through us, uh, that you would move in our hearts um, to bring about repentance uh, and to accomplish uh, the will and the gospel of your kingdom here on this earth. In your name I pray, amen. Turn your ear to heaven and hear the noise inside sound of angels' songs, the sound of angels' songs, and all this for a king, we could join and sing, all for Christ the King, how constant, how divine, this song of ours will rise. How constant, how divine This love of ours will rise Will rise Oh, praise Him Oh, praise Him He is holy He is holy Gaze to heaven and raise a joyous noise. The sound of salvation comes, the sound of rescued ones, and all this for a king. Angels join to sing, all for Christ the King. How infinite and sweet This love so rescuing Oh, how infinitely sweet This great love that has redeemed As one we sing Oh, praise Him Oh, praise Him Holy, He is holy. Alleluia, Alleluia. He is holy. He is holy. Oh, praise Him. Oh. Holy, He is 
Father, as we prepare to hear from your word, I pray that um, you would turn our hearts, incline our hearts to you, that we would offer up ourselves um, and offer up our ears and our attention uh, to your word and that your word would move in and through us, um, that you would provide that you would provide uh, the truth, the bread of life to us um, from your word, and that we would accept it with willing hearts. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Grace, all I have, every 
team that was awesome before we bust the book would you pray with me one more time father our worship was a prayer please speak what is true lead us in that truth father as we prayed last week i pray that you would use the circumstances in which we find ourselves in our country in our world to purify your church Use these circumstances to add to your church. Use these trials to strengthen your church. Father, use this circumstance to bring glory to Jesus Christ by how we respond to the world, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our families, and even to our enemies, to those that see things different than us. And Father... We know you're going to use all things to embolden your church because those who know you have the message of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Father, give us the hope that comes from Christ today as we look into your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of the message today is Hope Floats. But how deep is the water? A long time ago, there was a group of people that God chose in his kindness and in his purpose to bless. They had nothing in and of themselves to attract God to them. They were a group of misfits and nobodies. In fact, they were just a group of slaves. They were mistreated and forced to work for the prestige and well-being of another very prominent and powerful group of people. And it had been this way for a long time. But finally, God said, enough's enough. And through one reluctant leader, God worked to deliver his chosen group of nobodies from the somebodies. Through a series of miraculous judgments, God sent a twofold message, loud and clear. The first part of that message was, I am the one true God. And that message was both for the slaves 
and for the people who had enslaved them. The second part of the message was, I set my people free. Finally, after the tenth and final judgment, the powerful people were humbled and the powerless slaves were freed by God. Now, I think by this time you know the story and the people that I've described. It's the Israelite slaves in Egypt delivered by God, led by Moses and heading to the land God had promised to Abraham. That's the book of Exodus. We'll come back to them later. And we're going to look at that story, parts of it, through the lens of hope this morning. We're going to look at some of the things that God wants, I believe, wants us to see in light of that topic. But first, let me ask a question this morning that might at first seem unrelated to my introduction. But bear with me, if you would. The question is for us today. The question is this. I wonder how I would respond if the worst thing that I could imagine happened to me. I'm going to say that one more time. I wonder how I would respond if the worst thing that I could imagine happened to me. And I'm asking if you would embrace the discomfort of asking yourself that question. This was Nancy Guthrie's question. I borrowed it word for word from her. She's an author and a speaker, and she presented this question in the foreword to Cameron Cole's book called Therefore I Have Hope. And I have pondered that question or a form of or a version of that question myself kind of throughout my life in regards to persecution. And I've thought it through sometimes in regards to loss as well, persecution and loss. I remember a long time ago reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I remember asking myself, wow, could I do that? I wondered that if it ever came down to my faith in Christ or my life ending in a very gruesome and painful way, if it, if it ever came to that for me, would my hope in Christ bulwark and sustain my faith? Now, in asking that question, of course, today, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say, yeah, oh, yeah, no, no problem with that. But I tell you, right now, my honest response in my heart and in my head usually lands somewhere around these four words. I do not know. I hope that's not a discouragement to anyone listening, but what it is, I, I think we would all do well here when we think about the worst ever happening to us and our faith in relationship to that. I think we do well here to remember Simon Peter. Remember, Simon Peter said, Lord, I would absolutely never deny you. In fact, I would die for you. And he said that just a few hours before he denied he knew Jesus to a slave girl, and he did it multiple times. So my humble answer is, I don't know. I won't know until and unless I walk that path. And so whenever I think those kind of thoughts and ask myself that question, here's where I always end up. I end up in a prayer, and I say something like this to God. 
God, I don't think I can answer that question just by imagining it. But Lord, if, it, if I ever face such a trial, I am trusting you that you will give me the grace in that moment that I need to faithfully follow you in suffering and death to the end. I wonder how I would respond if the worst thing I could imagine happened to me. We're talking about hope. Let me share with you for a minute the circumstance that prompted Cameron Cole to write this book, Therefore I Have Hope. Remember, it was Nancy Guthrie in the foreword to that book from whence I borrowed that question we just talked about. Well, Cameron Cole was a youth pastor at the time of this occurrence. And as many of us have done, He used to imagine that question as well. The worst, he called it. What if this or that happened? The worst thing. How would I handle it? Would my faith in God and in Jesus Christ be strong and sustaining? Well, the worst arrived in the fall of 2013 for Cameron Cole and his wife. On November the 10th of 2013, Cameron and his wife had a beautiful interaction with their three-year-old son, Cam. And that ended late that afternoon with little Cam professing with much enthusiasm. He said, Jesus died on cross. Jesus died my sins. Jesus died on cross. Jesus died my sins. That night, Cameron, the father, left on an overnighter camp out with the youth, and the next morning, uh, he found he had missed three back-to-back calls in less than a minute from his wife. He thought that strange, and he finally reached her, and he found out the horrible news that three-year-old Cam died in his sleep that night. Cameron's imagined worse was now real life. Here was that point, here was that place, the worst, where Cameron's faith would fall apart with no hope, like a house of cards. I wonder how I would respond if the worst thing I could imagine happened to me. Did he fall apart? Well, it was a long journey even today. But I want to share with you Cameron's first words spoken to his broken-hearted wife that day. And it was almost as if he was out of his body listening to himself talk. He said, Lauren, Christ is risen from the dead. God is good. This doesn't change that fact. Folks, that's hope. That was just the beginning of a long and painful journey. As initial panic for Cameron and Lauren turned into unrelenting pain over the next few hours, um, the couple found themselves later on that day sitting on Cam's empty bed asking themselves two questions. They sat there and they looked into each other's eyes. What are we going to do? Where do we go from here?
you know, those questions, what are we going to do? Where do we go from here? Those are not unfamiliar in the Bible. And I think some of you listening today have asked those same questions over the excruciating and unforeseen circumstances that, that suddenly came flying at you in life. Folks, I want you to know that hope floats, but the question on the table today is, but how deep's the water? How deep? So, Father, I pray that you would give us a hope, a hope that understands that pain, suffering, and unanswered questions are all a part of the brokenness of this world. This world that you are in the process of redeeming. Give us faith in the answers that we know about you from your word that translates into a trust and a love, a faith that translates into a trust and a love for you in the midst of the answers we don't know and may never know this side of eternity. And when and if the unexpected and the unimaginable surprise and terrify us, may the hope of the Spirit of Christ float to the surface of the pain and the confusion, proclaiming the eternal truth, Christ is risen from the dead, God is good, and this circumstance, whatever it is, doesn't change that fact. I take you back now to the introduction that we had today in the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6 says that these things that happened to them, that whole story in the exodus, Paul proclaims that those things occurred as examples for us. And he goes on to talk in that verse about the condition of our hearts. So what I'd like to do today for the rest of our time is, is let's look at what happened to them as examples, as illustrations, to look, at, to look at who God is and to test the condition of our hearts during this crazy COVID-19 crisis that seems to be becoming a, a crisis on various levels. Let's start with that Passover night in Egypt. If the blood of the lamb that was painted on the doorposts of the houses during the last and final plague, we talked about that here around our Easter series called Commune. We talked about that in depth. If that blood of the lamb, if that was the example the illustration of the blood of Christ that was to be shed 1,500 years later to set us free from slavery, not in Egypt, but from slavery to sin, then let's take that example. We know that's the case. The scripture points to that all the time. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So if that's the case, let's take that example of the blood. of Let's carry it forward. What happened next? And let's make some application. See, they left Egypt that night and that morning. They were redeemed. They were free. But it wasn't long before they found themselves in, listen to me now, a hopeless situation. And it was hopeless. See, they had a sea in front of them. And they had a very angry grieving and vengeful Pharaoh and his army coming from behind to wipe them out. 
I've been doing quite a little bit of research and study, if you will, about the Exodus. Uh, If you traveled over there to the Middle East and you went to the traditional site of the Exodus, it's in that Sinai Peninsula right there, that between the two uh, arms of of the Red Sea, and that's where traditional Mount Sinai, and they've never found any archaeological evidence that any large group of people uh, were at that mountain. What I found, and what a lot of other people are finding, is if you see this spit of a beach, it's actually huge. It's five miles long by three miles wide. On the right hand, or you can see it here in this picture, you can see it from outer space. It's that large. It's circled in red here. That's called the Gulf of Aqaba on this right side. I believe that was the place where the crossing took place. And there is ample archaeological evidence along that path and across into what's marked Midian here on this map, which is not in Egypt. They were called out of Egypt, and they went to Midian. And there is much evidence uh, for their having been there. Uh, I've heard it from various, various parties. But they faced a hopeless situation, I believe, there at Nueva Beach. Because if you notice on that map, there's one way to that beach. Everything's mountains, except for that wadi that runs down to that beach. Pharaoh was coming down, I believe, that wadi. They were encamped on that beach. They had no place to go. There was no other escape. It was a hopeless situation. A sea in front and Pharaoh behind. So if, if everything that happened to them is an example for us, what, what is this? <laughs> what is this? I think it's this. For you followers of Christ, it's that the enemy still pursues you and I, even after you're free, even after you're redeemed. He is a defeated foe when we receive Christ, and he is angry about that. You have had your image of God restored, your relationship with God restored when you come to Christ, and he would like nothing more than to see that image destroyed and you dead. And we sometimes, even as believers, find ourselves in hopeless situations where there appears to be no escape. So, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Well, this time... Let's go back to Moses and the Israelites. This time, God not only sets them free, but he destroys the enemy. It looked hopeless, but Yahweh, remember his name is, means I will be all that's necessary as the occasion arises. His very name is a promise of hope. He was all that was necessary. He parted the sea, and Pharaoh's lifeless army washed up onto the shores. There was no hope. But in God's truth and grace, hope floats no matter how deep the waters. So I, I kind of want to summarize that and put it this way. God led them. He led them into a hopeless trap. That's what it looked like on the human plane so that he could destroy their enemies. God led them into a hopeless trap so that he could destroy their enemies. Folks, what we're going through, we've got to remember that in the end of all this, Christ will reign. 
His truth will be known and his enemies will be destroyed. Let's carry the story forward a little bit more. Exodus 15, 22. You see, when they finished on that, on the opposite side of Nueva Peninsula, they had crossed, Pharaoh was defeated. When they finished rejoicing and praising God for what they had just seen and, and been a part of, it says this, 15.22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into, what's that say? Oh, the desert. They went into the desert. Folks, there may have been up to and beyond 2 million Israelites in that group. So they go into a desert with no food, with no water. What do I do now? Where do I go from here? Well, God, after the people reacted, they freaked out, wanted to stone Moses on multiple occasions. They accused God time and time again of setting them free so he could kill them in the desert. God does multiple things over the next months and even years. He makes the bitter water sweet. He brings water from a rock. He rains down manna from heaven every single day. And God gives them meat when they complained about the manna. Amazing. So it was a hopeless situation. Two million people in a desert. Well, we got to remember that God led them into a hopeless trap so he could destroy their enemies. And here we see that God led them to a place, listen to me now, where they had no resources so that he could provide for them. I can see some hope in that. Now, I want to take you back this time, back before all this happened. I'm going to go way back to Moses when he had run away at the age of 40 from Egypt. He ran for his life. He went to Midian. There he was shepherding sheep for Jethro. Now he's, he had a wife now and a family. He'd been there 40 years, so now he's 80 years old. Growing up in Egypt, and all that was well behind him, he had moved on. And then comes that whole burning bush thing. And God says, I am Yahweh. Wherever you're at, I am. I'll be all that's necessary as the occasion arises. I am there. And so God leads Moses back. Back to a place where he was wanted for murder by the Egyptians and back to a place where he had been rejected by his own people, Israel. And that people, Israel, they were a stubborn, stiff-necked lot. And Moses, you know the story, he didn't want to go. He kept telling God, go get somebody else, not me. And, and, and Moses, finally, he goes back and he faces one impossible situation after another. Pharaoh disrespects him. The Israelites reject him, want to stone him. Aaron does the whole golden calf thing right away in the journey. And in so many ways, in so many ways, even though God is always faithful in revealing himself, folks, on a human plane, it's just one mess after another. 
on a human plane, one mess after another. And Moses, in the beginning, he didn't want to go. But then you get to Numbers 12, 3, and it says this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, that seems like to me that God is doing a work on Moses there. And then when you get to Exodus 33, where God says, okay, this is after so many rejections by the people, God says, okay, forget this people. You go on in to the promised land, Moses, and I'll give it all to you. Forget them. I'll make you into a great nation. He says, but I'm not going in, Moses, I'm not going. You go, Moses, and go with my blessing, but I'm not going. And Moses says, absolutely no way. If you don't go, God, I don't go either. Blessing or no blessing. I just want to be with you. Folks, this is the same guy that didn't want anything, any part of being with God in the beginning. So listen. This is the third thing. Not only had God led them into a hopeless trap so he could destroy their enemies, not only had God led them to a place where there there had been no resources so that he could provide for them, but now we see in Moses that God led Moses to a stiff-necked, proud, and selfish people so he could humble and transform him into one of the greatest leaders of all time. Folks, that's just three things. Three messages of hope. And remember, the scripture says these things happen to them as examples for us. We could go on in this story, we could draw out many more of those principles but let's just stop at those three because every one of those were impossible hopeless situations but what i want you to see and me to see is that when it comes to god's grace and his truth hope floats but how deep is the water well when it comes to christ hope floats no matter how deep the water is if you'll trust him So if you find yourself during this crisis or during any other in what seems like a hopeless situation, I just want to give you some practical things here that I actually just need to remind myself of and you can listen in. The first thing is this, be honest. Don't try to lie or deceive your way to a different place because that only digs a deeper pit. When you find yourself in an impossible place, be honest with God and with people. Just put your hope in God and be honest. Second is this, examine your heart. Ask yourself, what is it you want? Because what you want is not what God's concerned about necessarily in that situation. It's what you need that he's all wrapped up in. It's what you need to deepen your relationship and knowledge of him. That's what he's concerned about. So examine your heart. Be honest and examine your heart. Can you say, as 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, we make it our goal to please him, to please God. If that's not your heart in a hopeless situation, then God wants to change it for your good and for his glory. Put your hope in God and examine your heart. Number three, really important here, attack 
the problems, not the people that are around the situation. Don't blame others. Don't make excuses for yourself. Treat people with God's grace. Put your hope in God and go after the problems, not people. Number four is act. Don't react. What I mean by that is act biblically, obediently. Don't react emotionally or practically. I've seen so many Christians in a situation where, well, financially this makes sense. It disobeys God in about three different turns. It disobeys the principles of his word, but they they go that way anyway because in a practical worldly sense, it makes financial sense. So act biblically. Don't react emotionally or even practically. And what I mean by that is obey God. Don't just react. Act based on God's truth. Make it your goal to please him. So the question is, what do I do now and where do I go from here? Pray hard. Get some godly counsel if you feel lost. And maybe, just maybe, God just wants you to wait, to wait on him rather than to do for you. So number four is put your hope in God and act. Don't react. Psalm 33, 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And then the fifth and final one that I have for you today is believe. Believe that God is good, that he is for you in Christ. That's where Cameron Cole started with his wife. God is good this tragedy doesn't change that fact believe God is good he is for you in Christ trust him you know it's it's sometimes amazing how how shaky our faith gets that that sometimes at the slightest disappointment or discomfort how we can how we can blame and curse God so easily and and emotionally condemn God as the problem you know, why doesn't he put a stop to the evil in this world? I know that's a question that's been asked over and over again in the history of man. Why doesn't God stop it? Well, the reason he does not put an immediate end to all that is evil is partly because he is good and he loves us. He is good and he loves us. For surely we realize that if God obliterated all that is evil, then apart from Christ, we would all be toast. I'd be gone. How about you? He is for you in Christ. The truth is, God is defeating evil, even as we speak. But he is doing it in a way out of his goodness and his love that he redeems any who would believe on him. He is for you in Christ, so come to Christ. If you've never professed to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, my counsel to you is do it today. If you need help, call me. Believe that God is good. He is for you in Christ. And there's one look at the, the cross and the empty tomb is all the evidence you need of that fact. Hope floats, no matter how deep the water. If you find yourself in what seems like a hopeless situation today, be honest, 
Examine your heart. Attack problems, not people. Act, don't react. Believe that God is good, that He is for you in Christ. And remember the hope of the Israelites in a hopeless situation. Let's pray.